1 John chapter 2. As we look there, we're going to read verses 3 through 6 for our text this morning. And now, if you're able to stand up again, uh, we're going to honor God's Word by standing as I read aloud and you follow along in Scripture. Very black and white text. It's very much to the point. John the Apostle says, Now by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in Him. He who says he abides in Him ought himself also to walk just as Jesus walked. Let us pray. Father, by your Spirit, guide us in truth. Grant us assurance that we know that we know Him so that we can leave boldly proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ. In His mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Do you know for certain that you have eternal life and that you will go to heaven when you die? Do you know that you know Him? Maybe we can frame it in the words of the great hymn writer, Fanny Crosby. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. So I ask, what is your story? Assurance is a critical element in the life of a child of God. Without assurance, without that certainty, without that firm conviction, we flounder in doubt. When we flounder in doubt, then we neither are excited nor energized to share Jesus with others. So when we do not know that we know Him, literally others miss out on knowing Him. Assurance is a promised privilege for every child of God, those who are truly born again. You might want to write down a few of these texts, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Go back and read them and study them. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, it's not of works, it's faith in Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 16, the Apostle Paul, inspired of the Holy Spirit of God, tells us, The Spirit, the Holy Spirit Himself, bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. John chapter 10, verse 27 and following, familiar. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them, here it is, eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, Lord God Almighty. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. You do realize in order to be able to grab something from the grasp of somebody else, you probably have to be stronger to them, right? 
And, and, and the Bible is saying, Jesus is saying, My Father is the Lord God Almighty, who is God omnipotent, the God of all power. And if He holds us in the palm of His hand, no one or nothing can snatch us out of His hand. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, Being confident of this very thing, that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it, until the day of Jesus Christ. We can know that we know Him and that assurance is critically important. Not having assurance, on the other hand, thereby doubting our salvation, living in that uncertainty, it just breeds misery and despair. Ever been there in the moments of uncertainty in life to where that uncertainty just fueled misery Spiritually, it fueled despair, maybe, of, of wondering what God is up to or where God is at. Here's the reality. We cannot effectively fulfill our mission to make disciples when we live in a state of uncertainty. Now, understand that the Bible teaches that those who are truly saved are eternally saved. We Baptists say it this way, once saved... Always saved. Where do we get that? We read John 28 a while ago, 1028. And Jesus said, And I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. They have been permanently sealed with the Holy Spirit when we're in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1, 13, In Him and Jesus you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, here it is, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. But at the same time, God's word also commands the children of God, those who profess to be born-again believers, to examine your life to see if your salvation is real, if it is genuine. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, he says, Examine yourselves as to see whether or not you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you be disqualified. So if salvation is genuine, what the Bible is saying, there will be signs of the Holy Spirit of God's work in your life. In your, in your life, in your attitude, and in your actions. Galatians 5, and 23 are some of those indicators, some of those markers that if we are children of God, then there are things called the fruit of the Spirit of God that are manifest in our life. They are love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are things that, that are evidence of God's work in us and through us. So assurance of salvation in the subjective sense comes by examining our own life, asking the question, really what is in me? What is my desire? What is my want to? Do I desire to love God with all my heart? Do I desire to invest in the Word of God? Do I desire not to just know God, love God, and invest in the Word of God? Do I desire to do what God's Word tells me to do? And so John, 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13, our theme verse for this series, he said, Understand, I write these things to you 
who believe upon the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so God wants us to know. Are you with me? All right. John stresses that assurance, and he stresses it here from a perspective of obedience, that objective side, something that is tangible, something that is noticeable, that we can see that gives evidence that we're different. We are living as children of God. Jesus would frame it this way in Matthew chapter 7. He said, by their fruit you will know them. Not just what we say, but the evidence of how we live. We need to understand our eternal destiny is too precious of something to leave in uncertainty. I pray that you will gain assurance to know that you know that you know Jesus. To know that your sin has been forgiven. To know that you have been born again and the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. To know what God began in this salvation. He promises to complete it. Because without that assurance, we as a body of believers will live with uncertainty. And when we live with uncertainty, we live really just sitting and doubting rather than going and proclaiming. And that's a dangerous place. There are three critical elements, and I've outlined those on your sermon notes that I want you to draw out of this passage. This passage teaches us about assurance, but the first thing we can look at in verse 3, there are three things that verse 3 tells us we can know. And, And John starts out, he said, Now by this we know that we know Him. And so obvious, first of all, we can know God. That is what John is letting us know. Some people believe you cannot know this God of Scripture, but the Bible presents a different side. It is very clear that the God of Scripture can be known. We understand God is infinite and we are finite. We cannot fully know everything about Him. In fact, the psalmist described this inability. They said, "By His greatness is unsearchable. Too great to ever be fully known, Psalm 145. His understanding is beyond measure, Psalm 147. God's knowledge is too wonderful for us. It is so high that we cannot attain it, Psalm 139. And if we could count the thoughts of God, there are so many that they would be greater than the sands of the earth. And so God on one hand is so massive, so great, we could never know everything there is to know about Him. And even though we cannot fully know Him, here's what the Bible says, yet you can know Him personally. You can know Him even though we cannot fully know everything about Him. Jesus said eternal life was found in knowing Him and in knowing the only true God who sent Him, John 17 and verse 3. This is far better than simply knowing everything about God. We do know some things about God, but we can know Him personally. Jeremiah 9 and 24. Jeremiah 9 24, God says, Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. So what John is saying out of the gate is we can know God. This God can be known. Though He's so massive, we cannot know everything that that there is to know about Him. Our minds cannot wrap around that. We can still, by God's grace and by God's provision, know Him personally through Jesus Christ. Number two, we can know that we know that we know Him. That's called assurance. John is saying not only can you know Him, but you can know that you know Him. 
there is a difference between having salvation and then having assurance that we are saved. First, there, there's a scriptural evidence that all true Christians persevere. There's a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. In John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. Here it is. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. That is the promise of Jesus. Second, we mentioned the promise of the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Paul says that we were sealed with that spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it fully to the praise of his glory. And so we can know God and we can know that we know him. We can have assurance. Number three, John says in verse three, we can know that we know him and we can have assurance that we know him because of obedience to his command. So we can know that obedience gives evidence of knowing him. The gospel narrative and the letters kind of run hand in hand. The gospel narrative of John, chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus said, Now, if you abide and continue to remain in me, you are truly my disciples. So in other words, one evidence of genuine faith is continuing to believe and continuing to obey what Jesus said and commanded. You can know that you have come to know Jesus if you obey habitually His commands. Obedience provides a clear indication of knowing Jesus. That's not rocket science, is it? In that Christianity 101, we know that we're identified with God in Christ when we obey what God tells us in His Word. John says, this is how you know, you know through obedience. Someone said it this way, conduct is the best evidence of character. Not what you say, but what you do. So what you do determines to others what is inside. The Pharisees, and we'll get back to them, and the Sadducees, they did things outwardly, but Jesus looked inwardly and said there's a problem. Hold on to that thought. Number two on your notes, what does it mean to know? We think we know what it means, but we need to unpack it biblically of what John's talking about. John really likes this word know. In fact, he uses it in 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John 26 times. Uh, you put them all together, it's 30 or so times uh, you add the gospel narrative in there. And the fray, in the passage that we just read, three times in four verses, John uses this word. By this we know that we have come to know him. Whoever says, I know, by this we know that we're in him. He really likes this word. And so when, that, when there's a word used in repetition like that in Scripture, here's an indicator. Hey, God wants you to see that word. He wants you to understand that word. And it's evident here God wants us to know something, right? And so what is it that God wants us to know? He wants us to know that we can know that we know him. Are you with me? So in the context of our passage... What the Bible is talking about is assurance of a relationship with Him. You don't have to worry and wonder whether or not you're born again. My granddad was a primitive Baptist preacher. 
And he never would say right up to his last day that I know, that I know, that I know him. You know what he'd say? I hope so. I hope so. He always lived in some uncertainty because his theology was a little off track right here and didn't understand what John is telling us that we can know that we know that we know him. And, and so there is a way that you can know that you know him. Here's the significance of knowing. Be up under that. In verse 3, now by this we know. That first know right there is present tense in the Greek language. The idea is we can know and keep on knowing. It's an idea of progressive knowledge. We can know and keep on gaining knowledge by experience that we know. In other words, we are continually being able to know that we have come to know God by taking God at His word and by living by faith. But through that faith, we experience this God of Scripture in a personal way and we experience the promises that this God has made to be real in our life. And so the second no, by this we know, present tense, that we know Him. The second no there is perfect tense. And basically what that means is there is something that happened in the past that still has impact and influence today. So for the children of God, what happened in our past? Well, how did we come to know Him? We, we understood that we were sinners. We repented of our sin, and we placed our faith in Christ. We were born again. That salvation experience at whatever point it happened in our life happened in the past. We know Him. We know Him personally at that point, but then throughout life we continue to know Him. That decision back there has impact today so that I keep growing and knowing that I know that I know Him because this God of Scripture continues to make Himself known through Scripture as I read, as I study. And the more about God that I learn, the more I love Him. And the more I love Him, the more I want to obey Him. And the more I obey Him, I realize He's faithful. He's faithful to his promises and to his name. And so John is saying there's a difference in knowing about and knowing. Are you with me? It's intellectual knowledge versus experience, relationship. I can tell you, and I'm going to set some of you off right now, just warning, caution, breaking news. I know Nick Saban. See how quiet it got? But I don't know Nick Saban. I can Google Nick Saban and I can find out all kinds of facts and truths about him. I know that he became the, the head coach of the University of Alabama in 2007. I know he's got a birthday coming up in October the 31st, 1951 was his birthday. I know that his wife is Terry. I know he's won just a few national championships and probably another one in the, way, in the wake. Um, but I don't know him. I've never shaken his hand. I've never looked him in the eye. I've never spoken to him in a personal way. I know some knowledge about him, and I can Google that, but I don't know him. I I wonder how many in the body of Christ are like that with Jesus. You know some facts about Jesus. You know truths that have been poured in you through mamas and daddies and grandparents and teachers throughout the body of Christ, but maybe you've never met him personally. Now, when the New Testament writers talk about knowing God, They are not referring to mere intellectual knowledge. It does include intellectual knowledge that we place our faith in, but it's not just understanding facts or truths about. 
Knowledge of God covers not only what we know about Him, but also includes a personal investment of placing our faith in what He says to be true. It includes an ever-deepening, growing relationship and fellowship with God that is evidenced by love for Him and obedience to Him. How do we know that we know Him? We love Him. How do we know that we love Him? We obey Him. And what does that obedience give us an indication of? It's an evidence that we have a relationship with God. We know Him by experience. Some of the greatest lessons in life are learned by experience, wouldn't you say? There are two ways to learn. Either we learn by being taught or we learn by experience. Now, when we're training up our young children, we may say something like this as they're toddling around. No, do not touch that oven when it's on or that grill when it's got a fire in it because it is hot. It will burn you. Now, there are a few children in the world that will take that warning from mom and dad and take that knowledge, though they do not know by experience when mom and dad say no, they back off. When mom and dad say danger, they back off. And so they just obey because they've been instructed to obey. But then there are a few others. I won't name any of them, but they may cock their head when you say, no, don't touch this, it's hot, and they may crinkle their eyebrows a little bit and even have that sheepish grin about them, and when you're saying no, that finger is going. But here's the reality. If they ever touch that surface that is hot, it hurts. It has burned them. Then they know. They know by experience that that is hot. And then they learn by experience, maybe I need to pay attention to what mom and dad are saying because it's true. I can tell you I know the God of Scripture is faithful. I know that because that's what the Word of God teaches me. I know that by faith. But now that I'm almost 52 years old and I've walked with the Lord for a few years and I've had ups and downs through life and I've invested some time in the Word of God and I've wrapped around some of the promises of God, I can look back like King David says, I've been young, but now I am old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Here's what I know. I've never wrapped around a promise of God and say, God, I choose to believe you no matter what. I'm going to walk with you. And when I did, God has always, without a doubt, always been faithful to his word. And he's come through in due time. He is faithful God. Amen? I know that by experience. You can't talk me out of that. I know that he is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord my peace. Because there have been peaks and valleys in my life that I needed the peace of God. There, There have been times, there's one day that just stands out above all other days. The day that my world radically changed. It happened on August the 7th, 2003, 2.17 in the afternoon. My next tail alerted me. I looked down, and my wife's name, Angie, was there. And once we connected, I could hear through the tears just a simple request, I need you to come home. On the way home, my heart was racing. My head began to throb, and, and I was scared. All I remember doing on the way home was just crying out, Oh, dear God. Oh, dear God. Oh, dear God, help. Because I knew before I ever walked in the door what was coming. 
And when I walked in the door, what I found out, she said, the doctor has just called, and I have breast cancer. But not just any kind of breast cancer. I have a stage 4 kind of breast cancer. It's inflammatory breast cancer. I know that I know that I know that the Lord God Almighty is Jehovah Shalom. Because on the way to the house, and after I got to the house, and on the couch, as we huddled and cried and prayed, we asked the Lord God to help us. And there was a peace that passed all understanding that guarded our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. In fact, we went and got our hair cut that afternoon. And so the day that radically changed our life was also a day that we knew by experience, not just because the Bible said so, but because we had experienced a peace that passed all understanding in chaotic circumstances. Here's what I know. I don't care what you say. I don't care what kind of doubts you have, but you can't talk me out that my God is faithful and my God is a God of peace. Can't do it because I know that I know. When you know that you know that Jesus is your Savior, when you know by experience those words that we sing, when we sing songs of worship about the cross and about the blood and about being redeemed and about being rescued, when you know it was for you, when you've been rescued, when you've been set free, when you have peace with God in Christ, you know that you know that you know and nothing can take that away from you. That's what John's talking about. Are you with me? You know by experience what God is doing in your life. John says there's a way that you can know by experience, and here it is, that you obey His commandments. That's the evidence of knowing if we keep His commandments. There's only one thing that separates immature believers and mature believers. It's the same thing that separates a rookie and a veteran. It's called experience. Experience in this journey, in this walk with Jesus. And the more we walk with Jesus and the more we learn about Him and His love for us, the more we learn about who God is and His promise to us, the more we learn about the power of God. But then the more we experience the reality of what Scripture is telling us, then we know that we know. Now, that that knowledge, that assurance that we have is going to translate, I know God loves me, and I know how much He loves me, and I love Him back. And the indicator of my love is I want to please him. I don't want to disobey him. I don't want to disappoint him. And so I obey his commands. So what John means, he said, by this we know that we know him. This is referring to that statement, if we keep his commandments. That, that word keep is present tense. You go hear that a lot through John, which means if we obey and keep on obeying. That word keep uh, is, is one that means that we treasure God's word. And so we keep and keep on obeying God's commands. What are the commandments? Well, you'll see two words in the context that, that we read. One is Jesus' word, the word, and we see commandments. You might see in Scripture precepts. In other words, what, what all does it mean? Here's the bottom line for the sake of time. What do commandments refer to? What does the word refer to? Basically, anything that Jesus says. So anything that Jesus says is a commandment for us to obey. John said, by this, we know that we know him. If we keep, obey his commandments or what Jesus says. 
Now, how is it that we know that we know Christ? Keeping his commandments. To keep. It's picturesque in the Greek. It, it literally means to look upon something as your treasure. Therefore, to guard it. Something that grows precious to us. By keeping his commandments, that this word becomes a treasure. That you hold it dear and you treat it precious. You're not going to let go of it. You're not going to lose it. You're not going to neglect it. You're going to hold on to it. Alan Kirkendall tells us all the time, we need to get people to fall in love with the Word of God. That happens when you know the God of the Word and fall in love with the God of the Word. Then you'll fall in love with what that God says. And so when we love God, we will treasure what He says and keep them and guard them, but we obey them. We do what He says. There are two indicators of this keeping or obedience. One's an outward action. And so it's something that's visible, tangible. It's called obedience, outward obedience. But along with outward obedience, there's an inward attitude. And that inward attitude is what our desire is. It's a motivation of love. Why do we obey God? Why do we do what He says? So outward conduct should flow from an inward attitude of love. It is possible to obey outwardly and not inwardly love God. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes in the New Testament, Jesus just called them out, didn't he? They did outward things that were right. They did the things that their religion required. They obeyed outwardly everything. Jesus looked in their hearts and he said, You are hypocrites. Woe to you hypocrites. Well, look at verse 4 and see how John handles those. Verse 4 reveals those who, whose walk does not back up the talk. The one who says, I know him, and does not live with some sense of consistency to God's commands. John calls him out. He's not politically correct. He doesn't pamper the saints. He says, you're just a liar, and the truth isn't in you. And so John is not saying this. He's not saying that if you keep God's commandments flawlessly. John is not requiring sinless perfection because we cannot be that. But John is saying this, that there needs to be a pattern of your life of consistent obedience to the Word of God. And you're not going to be consistently obedient unless you're consistently desiring to know God and investing time in His Word. No one's going to reach sinless perfection. So John is talking about the pattern of your life, the trajectory of your life. He's talking about consistency of what we say and what we do. In the life of a professing Christian, if you profess it, your actions ought to back up what you say. But when you don't back it up with your actions, then you become one of those hypocrites. John just says, you lie. And then the truth is not in you. That becomes a problem in our witness, doesn't it? I'm afraid there are a lot of people that come to church and they give a lot of lip service to the Lord, but when we go out and live our lives, it's all about us. And really, in our conversation, a lot of times there's no difference in, in, in church people conversation and lost people conversation. Particularly, you get mixed up and you're watching some ball games together, watch down in the well, fishing and come up out of the bucket. When life goes wrong, watch down in the well is going to come up in the bucket. 
So when something comes up from within, what comes up? And so do we have a pattern of our life that, that consistently indicates a, a, a consistent obedience of God's word, God's commandments? The key to properly interpreting here is verb tenses, that present tense, know and keep on knowing, that habitual lifestyle. Look at verse 6 real quick. He said, he who says he abides in him ought also walk in him. Abide and continue to remain, to walk and to continue to walk, lifestyle of behavior. John is very clear. An indicator that you know him is if you obey him. Black and white, right? Look at verse 5. John presents the positive side to verse 4. He introduces one of his favorite terms, love. He says, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we're in him. That word keep again, to guard, to treasure, to obey. If we obey, then John says the love of God or our love for God, it could go either way, is perfected. Literally, it's made mature. It grows up. It's brought to maturity. He's not talking about sinless perfection. So it's significant that in the Greek, the phrase is, perfe- is perfected is in a passive voice. What in the world does that mean? It means that we cannot mature ourselves. We cannot perfect ourselves. The subject is acted upon. It means that God is the one who does the maturing, does the perfecting. How does that happen? When we love him and we choose to obey him, he grows us in that love. He gives us that ability to grow up. So our love for God is a perfect or mature love when it is the grounds for how you live. We live to please God. Why? Only because we love him. So here's the question. How much do you love him? And what does your life say to back that up? There are basically three reasons we do what we do. It doesn't matter what it is, where we are, there are three reasons we do what we do. Some people do what we do because we have to. We have to because there are consequences if I don't. Our students, children, they go do what mom and dad says do because they have to. It might not be what they want to do, but they have to because they know there might be some consequences if they don't do it. Then some people do what they do because they need to. They know it's the right thing to do. It's what people expect them to do. But it's really not what's deep down inside. It's just an image thing. It's kind of like you can be whatever you want to be on social media, but that's not the real you. And, and what John is saying, there are people, might even be church people, that you do what you have to do because you need to. They're called Pharisees. They're called Sadducees. They look religious. They acted religious. They jumped through the hoops of their religion. They only did it because they needed to in order to uphold their image and give the appearance of religious. But Jesus looked inside their heart and says, No, even though you do right things, your heart is corrupt. You are sinful. You are hypocrites because your inner desire is not a love for God. But third, this is the highest reason we do what we do. Some people do what they do because they want to, because they desire to. Here's the win for mamas and daddies. When when our children hear our instruction, 
and then they choose to obey, not because they have to, not because they just know it's the right thing to do and they need to, but because they want to. They want to because they don't want to disappoint dad or mom. They don't want to hurt them. They don't want to go against their word. They, they want to express their love for them. Isn't that the same way it is with our Heavenly Father? Oh, what a joy it is to our Heavenly Father when we do what we do because we love Him inside. Not because we have to and we're scared of His consequences, though that's real. Not because we need to and it just gives the appearance of the right thing. Because deep down in the well, there is a love for Him and we don't want to disappoint Him. We don't want to disobey our Heavenly Father. We want to love Him and and express our, our gratitude and our thanksgiving, our praise to Him in obedience. So mature obedience flows out of a love within. We obey because we love God and we want to please Him. Here's what Jesus said in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Is that hard to understand? Is that hard to wrap around? Now, it's clear, but it's hard to do, isn't it? And so it's all about what's inside that compels us to do what we do. So here's the question again. Do we obey God's commands because we want to? Some of you are obeying God's commands because you have to or because you think you need to to maintain an image, but you're not obeying God's word because you really want to. God knows the difference. And just like John's calling them out, the Holy Spirit of God calls us out. Jesus called them out. They wanted to pick on John for being abrupt and rude and not politically correct. He'd just say, hey, I'm just the messenger. I didn't say it first. Go seek the man. He said it first. He called them out. So the principle of obedience can be used in the life of the Christian as evidence of genuine salvation. Obedience is the avenue, is not the avenue of salvation. We're not saved by works. But obedience is the evidence of genuine salvation. Just like James said, faith without works is dead. We're not saved by works. But when we are saved, there's going to be some evidence that we are. And that's what John is saying here. What is the evidence? By this obedience, we know that we know him. Look at verse 6. The last critical element. We ought to walk as Jesus walked. Ultimately, it comes down to our love for Jesus. If you love him, then you'll obey him. If you love him, then you'll abide in him. If you abide, remain in him, then you'll walk as he walked. You're going to do what he asked you to do. You're going to try to pattern your life after him. You're going to try to follow in his steps. Not sinless perfection, not going to a cross literally, but dying to self in order to follow our Savior. In verse 6, John speaks about a pattern of obedience. Jesus, by his words and by his example, teaches us how to be faithful followers in this world. The test of abiding is imitating, becoming like, character and conduct, becoming like the Lord Jesus Christ. So how did you do? The test of knowing him by obeying his commands. How did you do on the test? If you're stepping through obedience, let's ask the deeper question. Why do you do what you do? Do you do it because you love him? You have to? You need to? Or you want to? Where he wants to take us. 
as he reveals himself to us is that we want to love him and we want to obey him therefore we do may we walk with that kind of love perfected here's what I know when we know that we know that we know him when we go we go with a confident assurance that nobody can talk us out of what God has already done in us and through us and when we are confident and assured and have that firm certainty about what God's done inside of us guess what's going to happen what's important to us what we're excited about is going to come up and through us and we'll be telling others about this man Jesus so lack of assurance uncertainty is a problem but confident assurance is that which compels us to be on mission with Jesus through obedience let's pray together Father, I pray that we can know that we know that we know Jesus. And we know that's possible, but I pray it will be real. And Father, those of us who are here, we decided to come to church today. I don't know why we decided that, but you know. Some maybe because they had to. Others because it's just the right thing to do. But there's a few others because they really wanted to be with a community of faith and wanted to worship our God because you alone are worthy of worship. Father, I pray that you will help us fall in love with you more and more every day. Because when we fall in love with you, we fall in love with the word that you gave us. And when we fall in love with you and the word that you gave us, then we fall in love with obedience that we desire to obey, and we know that you desire obedience above any and everything else. And Father, when we obey, then our life is set apart. It's different. When we obey, then we're excited about what you're doing in our life. And when we're excited about what you're doing, we have the assurance of what you've already done and what you promised to complete. Father, we're talking about our story of grace and salvation to others. So I pray for the children of God here today. Father, give us that assurance. Help us know that we know that we know you through Christ. But give us a boldness as we go based upon that assurance of knowing you. Help us to help others know that they can know you and allow them to have the same certainty that we do. So, Father, perfect our love, mature our love in Christ today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.